Oh, it's not like it used to be. <laughs> G'day and welcome to the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. This is the history of New Zealand through a libertarian anarchist lens, specifically that of Rick Giles. Please enjoy the ideas and let me know what you think. In this episode, we go to 1907 to explore the state social engineering program called the Plunkett Society. First up, as a primer, I have a short clip to play from YouTube. This clip is called the Still Face Experiment with Dr. Edward Tronick. Holding these insights in the back of your mind will help when we think about how our 1907 counterparts treated their children. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying 30, 40 years ago, when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. And she gives a greeting to the baby, the baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this, and then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good. 
there's no reparation, and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. I hope you can understand how essential it is to human children of all time periods that they get their attachment needs met. When attachment to the primary caregiver is thwarted, that makes a huge developmental impact on the growing child. We're now going to consider what would happen to an entire generation of New Zealand children when a massive program is rolled out to direct that children be deprived of that person-to-person -person contact. Sir Truby King, our hardcore old school, K-selected, dignity culture, master race, pre-post-World War I celebrity cultural midwife, wanted to save and propagate a strong zombie force of Kiwis with healthy bodies and indoctrinated brains. Truby bots and their king. Therefore, King set up the Plunkett Society, established 1907. The name comes from one of the society women to whom it was fashionable to morally and financially back the old man, the governor's wife herself. Later, King's work became part of a state program. The result, which horrifies me the most, is the necessary severing of parent-child attachment. For example, the separation of mother and child in maternity homes, where instead of being skin on skin, or even close to mother, babies were sorted like mail and wheeled around in carts like milk bottles by nurses, aka Truby bots. How to raise anarchist children. Lord Plunkett and Truby King needed to hear that video that I played earlier in the podcast but they needed to hear it 100 years ago. A baby's attachment needs are thwarted when they are separated from their primary caregiver, aka their mother, to be treated as luggage by the baggage handlers we called nurses. Certainly not how our colonial forebears cared for their babies, and not what we do now either. We know better, most of us. But for a span of years around about the 1920s to 1970s, New Zealander newborn babies were kept away from their mothers in separate nurseries and hospitals. Look here for the reason for the silent generation and for the root cause of the equal and opposite reaction that was Generation Me, also known as the Baby Boomers. Newborn babies were kept away from their mothers in separate nurseries and hospitals until the 1960s and 1970s. The average age of business owners in New Zealand is in the late 60s, early 70s bracket. Boomers avariciously hold so much real estate, capital, and just plain power. You ever wonder why that is? They had to attach to stuff because the two-minute experience in the video clip I played 
was their parents' whole babyhood and childhood. Because the Truby bots complied, because their king advocated it, because Mrs. Plunkett and her social circle embraced it, because the state had legalised it. The silent were a traumatised generation, taxed and regulated and traumatised further by two world wars beyond their control or understanding. They voted for maternal cradle-to-grave governments and saw in their leaders and radio personalities the aunt and the uncle connection figure stolen from their youth. Eugenics in New Zealand. Some consolation. We are not as bad as Weimar Germany. They 10 the whole program, as everybody knows. What Truby King did to New Zealand was also enthusiastically being done around the whole world. If it had not been him, some other monster would have risen to do history's bidding. With Supreme Court approval, the USA, quote, sterilised over 70,000, quote, inferior Americans. One of their reason for sterilising someone was, quote, feeble-mindedness, which could be applied to anyone. For instance, unwed mothers were feeble-minded, unquote says researcher Dave Hitt. There is an impressive list of celebrities who eagerly promoted it. Eugenics was invented by a cousin of Darwin. Darwin hated it and distanced himself from it. Teddy Roosevelt thought eugenics was an important and wonderful idea. H.G. Wells was a big fan. So was Alexander Graham Bell and his good friend, Helen Keller. Research eugenics and you will run into progressives at every turn. They absolutely loved the theory, and they didn't just talk about it, they put it into action. Dave hit. See also the earlier post about that arch-progressive George Bernard Shaw, and if you can bear it, this terrifying video of the sort of thing he was telling, approving New Zealanders. In the late 19th century, there are I mean, almost the cream of British intelligentsia embracing uh, eugenics well into the early 20th century, saying that thousands, millions had to be marched off into gas chambers and liquidated. Uh, George Bernard Shaw has this great line where he says, you know, uh, we should do it while playing lovely classical music as we march them into the gas chambers. But there are an extraordinary number of people whom I want to kill. I think it would be a good thing to uh, make everybody come before a properly appointed board, just as he might come before the income tax commissioners, and say every five years or every seven years, just put him there and say, Sir or Madam, now will you be kind enough to justify your existence? If you're not producing as much as you consume, or perhaps a little more, then uh, clearly uh, we cannot use the big organization of our society uh, for the purpose of keeping you alive, because your life does not benefit us and it can't be of very much use to yourself. And our government history website agrees. Plunkett Society had been founded by the renowned health reformer Frederick Truby King, whose strong eugenic beliefs helped set the public health agenda in the 1920s. He urged New Zealanders to do all they could to breed an imperial race and condemned birth control and abortion as instruments of race suicide. 
Truby King was also a member of the 1924-25 Committee of Inquiry into Mental Defectives and Sexual Offenders, whose report concluded that the unchecked multiplication of the feeble-minded and epileptic was causing the serious deterioration of the race and was a most serious menace to the future welfare and happiness of the Dominion. Among its recommendations were the compulsory segregation and sterilization of incurable mental defectives. nzhistory.government.nz Finally, please take a look at this dramatic clip from the fine film Judgment at Nuremberg, 1961. Dr. Vick, you referred to novel national socialist measures introduced, among them sexual sterilization. Are you aware that sexual sterilization was not invented by national socialism, but had been advanced for years before as a weapon in dealing with the mentally incompetent and the criminal? Yes, I am aware of that. Are you aware that it has advocates among leading citizens in many other countries? I am not an expert on such laws. Then permit me to read one to you. This is a High Court opinion upholding such laws in existence in another country. And I quote, We have seen more than once that a public welfare may call upon the best citizens for their lives. It would be strange indeed if it could not call upon those who already sapped the strength of the state for these lesser sacrifices in order to prevent our being swamped by incompetence. It is better for all the world if, instead of waiting to execute degenerate offsprings for crime or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent their propagation by medical means in the first place. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. You recognize it now, Dr. Beek. No, sir, I don't. Actually, there is no particular reason you should, since the opinion upholds the sterilization law in the state of Virginia, of the United States, and was written and delivered by that great American jurist, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Are the progressives sinister? Not within the worldview of the majority of our society who do not believe in individualism. As they see it, you're either a protector or the protected, but everyone is in a giant codependent relationship. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, they say. It could only be sinister to the point of view that we are sovereign individuals with the right to life, not fodder for the collective. Truby King and the Plunkett people belong to victimhood culture. They were and are absolutely convinced of anti-individualism, and that they are righteous. That's the end of this episode of the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you thought and visit the AHNZ website. The next episode will take us to 1988. Here's a small sample of that show to end this one. The way to make a new New Zealand was to start with the young. The Mead Report's ambition was no less than social engineering to build a new New Zealand. As such, she was following in the footsteps of many who had come before her, such as Kendall, Williams, Van Ash, King, and Beebe. Mead was axiomatically a statist, 
writing of ECC services that they were so important that, quote, public funding for them is essential, unquote. As if something being important automatically required government control.